Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Zach Lloyd, CEO and founder of Warp, a Rust-based terminal that's raised $70 million in funding. Zach, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Brett. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no problem. So to kick things off, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and maybe just a bit more about your background? Sure. So yeah, I'm Zach, currently the founder and CEO of company Warp. But before that, I've been a sort of career software engineer. I was at Google for a long time. I used to be a principal engineer there. I ran in engineering and helped build a lot of the Google Sheets product. And then was the tech lead for the Google Docs suite. I founded another company or I was a co-founder of another company uh, that was venture-backed in a totally different space for what I'm doing now. And then was actually briefly the CTO in Time Magazine, kind of randomly for a bit before I started work. And then, you know, kind of going even further back, I would say I've always had kind of varied interests. Like when I was in college, I studying a mix of computer science and philosophy. I actually have a philosophy master's degree. I actually went to law school for a year. So it took me a bit of time to figure out sort of squarely that I wanted to work in the technology industry. But you know, for the last 20 years or so, that's what my focus has been on. So good to know if I have any issues with Google Sheets, you're the guy to call and you can help troubleshoot with me. I can at least get you in touch with the person who can help troubleshoot. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little yeah. bit about time. That seems very random. How did that come up and, and how did that come to be? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty random. It happened because my second cousin is the Salesforce founder, Mark Benioff, who bought time with this wife, I don't know, five years ago. And he's been sort of helpful and supportive in, in my career. And I was kind of coming out of my prior startup and I was trying to like come up for air and figure out what I wanted to do. And Mark was like, would you like to? I sort of help work on technology at time. And I'll be honest, I don't really have much experience in like publishing or media, but I do a bunch of experience building products. So, you know, I went there, I, I got a chance to work with some really smart people and, you know, work on a totally different type of thing. Although I will say like, I'm, I'm much more passionate about building a technology product. And that was, a, it was sort of clarifying to me that I am about working in that, the media industry, but it was still a cool experience. What happened in 2004? Were you confused in life? Were your parents you know, pushing you in a certain direction? Because I see you briefly went to <laughs> law school. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, for context, I have two older sisters. They're both lawyers. I think for some, for some reason, my parents, you know, they saw law as like, hey, that's a good, safe, like professional career. You know, and I got into law school. I was actually weighing, do I want to go to law school or do I want to go do a PhD? and logic, which are two very different things. And somehow I like talked myself into like, hey, you know what, law school is the more practical route. There's a lot of things you can do with a law degree. And then I I went for a year, you know, and I went to a, a really good law school. I went to Yale for a year, which people tend to love. And I didn't like dislike the law school experience, but I was just like, God, I really like building things. And I really don't, I'm not like relishing the prospect of working in a a law firm, which is what a lot of people end up doing. Like I'd seen my sisters do that. And so, 
you know, I had an engineering background as well. So I was like, you know what, let me push pause on this and, and try some other stuff. But yeah, the, the short answer is it really, it took me some time to figure out what I wanted to spend my career doing. And I, you know, I tried law and I was like, hmm, not for me. And I'm, you know, my parents, I will say, were not psyched about that decision, <laughs> but it was, you know, I think it was honestly like the best professional decision I've made in my entire life. So like, I love what I do now. And I don't, I don't know that I would have loved being a lawyer. Your parents understand what you do now? Like, do they get it or do they still think, oh, maybe someday Zach will get his shit together and go to law school? <laughs> you know, it's been like a series of disappointments for them. Cause like, you know, I went, I dropped out of law school. And then when I worked at Google, they were like, okay, at least that's a company I heard of. I can tell my friends that my son works at Google and that sounds good. And now that I'm like, you know, running a, running a startup, I think it's, I have no idea what they think. Although, you know, we had some good press come out like we had a story in fast company yesterday about me and warp and so i can send that to them and like that at least registers like oh it must be doing something something interesting <laughs> hopefully you made it on the fridge now they, they printed out that fast company article and it's sitting there yeah. mom fridge. <laughs> no, but, but in all honesty i feel like my parents and probably a lot of people who are not in the tech industry probably have very little idea like what the actual product we're working on does like it's a very technically oriented product and so yeah i don't know if they really know it or not but they're yeah you know, it's their credit they've been super supportive and they you know i'm, I'm sure they're proud of it, right? i hope so <laughs> nice now a couple of other questions that we like to ask and you know the goal yeah. here is really just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and typically we ask you know, what founder you admire the most is and you know what you admire about them but because of, you have a relationship with benioff i i have to ask a little bit about that so what yeah. have you learned, you know, from that relationship and from your interactions with him? What are some of those like key takeaways that you've learned? Yeah, I mean, my biggest one from seeing how he does things is that he is operating at a very strategic, high level viewpoint of things at all times. And it's not afraid to suggest ideas that people might be like, what, we're doing that? And so there's like a fearlessness in like suggesting you know, trying very big things or making very big swings or like acquiring companies or just really thinking like big that he's, that seems to be like his normal mode of operation. Whereas like as someone who's, you know, if you're working inside of a big company, I don't think you're always thinking like that. So for him, the thing that sticks out to me is really around like the vision and like the altitude that I see him work at, which is pretty interesting. And what about books? Are there any specific books that have had a major impact on you? And I sold this from someone else and they, they call it a quake book. So they defined a quake book as a, a book that just like rocks you to your core. It, it impacts how you view the world. Do any quake books come to mind? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of books I love. One that I think of for this particular question is a book by Tolstoy called The Death of Ivan Ilyich. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's like a novella. And it's a story of, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a sort of lesson around like how you can sort of live your life according to like all of the guardrails and try to check all the boxes and try to hit like all the conventional measures of achievement. And then that can just all of a sudden shit can go very wrong. And I don't know if you like Tolstoy at all, but it's he creates characters that are like people you know. And so like they're very relatable people. And it's like, oh yeah, I like even though he was writing you know, in Russia in the 1800s or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, I know a person like that. And so this book, it's not a business book, obviously, but it's like a 
change the way you think about what your goals are type book, in addition to being just like super compelling as like a story. So highly, highly recommend that if I buy as a read for people. Nice. I always love hearing about books that aren't you know, zero to one or the hard thing about hard things. <laughs> we like to dig a layer deeper and find those books that you know, maybe a lot of people haven't heard of or some people haven't heard of. So that one definitely yeah. sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's awesome. Highly recommend. Well, let's switch gears and, and let's dive into the company. So if we can just start off with the, you know, the high level question I have is what is a Rust-based terminal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So the easiest way to describe this is like, the terminal is, it's one of the main pieces of software that developers use as they are building software. And if you're not a developer, I think the easiest thing is like, it's like the black screen with the green text that you see like hackers furiously typing away on in movies. So like diffuse bombs, that type of thing. That's a terminal. And what it is going like one level more specific is that it's, it's a text-based way of controlling your computer. So if you want to like, you know, developers use it for all sorts of things. They use it for like building their code, for running it, testing it, or interacting with all of their different servers that are in the cloud. You know, everyone, every developer who writes their first like hello world application is writing an app that runs in the terminal. It's how most of the internet is running is on these text-based applications. So if you think about like an internet server running somewhere in Amazon's cloud, there's no sort of graphical user interface for interacting with that. It's all text-based. So the terminal is like the tool that developers use to sort of write and run these text-based apps. So Warp is is a reimagination of this tool to make it, I guess, really do three things. It's to modernize the user experience of it. So what I mean by that is like, if you're using a terminal, a typical terminal, not Warp, you're using a, an application that is basically copying the behavior of a 40-year-old piece of hardware, you know, piece of hardware that's not built, like the original sort of like, hardware that you just have a keyboard and a green screen. And that's what most terminals are like. And the problems with that are like, you know, everything from very basic stuff, like the mouse doesn't work, for instance, to like the terminal. It's a very hard tool for people to learn. It tends to be very intimidating for new developers. It's because it's like just typing in text, it's a very error prone tool. So like people will cause out it just through it. If you're working on a team, it's a hard tool to like standardize the way you do things in it. And so there's all these usability problems. And so one thing Warp is doing is basically reinventing the interface to make it have a much more sort of modern feel and modern ergonomics. The second thing Warp is doing is making the terminal a bunch smarter. So this is like, you know, we have some pretty compelling integrations with AI in it. And not just like your every app has like some hype AI integration today, like the actual, it's a great integration point for AI because there's a lot of stuff that you need to look up as you use the terminal. There's a lot of like error text the terminal gives you that AI is very good at explaining like what the fix is. And so there's intelligence there. That's the second piece. And then the third piece is really collaboration. So that the terminal has traditionally been a single user local application. And, you know, similar to I think Google Docs or Figma are good examples of tools that have taken this single user experience and made them sort of multiplayer valuable for teams. And we believe there's an opportunity to do something similar with the command line. So those are the well, sort of three things that we're doing. And the business is really around, you know, selling, you know, having enterprises and businesses pay for this software for their development teams to make those teams 
more productive and to enable those teams to ship better software more quickly. And take us back to the early days. It looks like you started in mid-2020. What were those early conversations like? And what was it about this problem that made you say, yep, that's it. That's the problem I'm going to go solve. Because I'm sure you had a lot of different options. There are probably many problems that you could build a startup around. What was it about this problem specifically that really drew you in? You know, from my experience at Google, I really, I liked building productivity software. So I was kind of like generally looking at ways I could build something that would help people get more done. I am a developer and I've been a developer for a long time. And I was interested specifically in the developer landscape. I feel like developers have traditionally had kind of actually like the worst tools. Like I think consumers get the highest rate of product after that, like enterprise, you know, knowledge workers have gotten better, better products with things like Slack is a good example of like a, like a, a real consumer grade product for business users, but developer products kind of suck. Like traditionally, like a lot of the interfaces are not that well designed. They tend to be built by developers. And so, you know, I was looking, you know, in the developer space, what could we do? A lot of things in the developer space tend to be very niche, but I wanted to focus on something that is really widely usable. And there just aren't that many things that are used by all developers every day. And the terminal actually is one of them. And then, you know, I explored some other sort of developer facing products, like building a new code editor, but just ended up being convinced that this sort of opportunity with the terminal was biggest because of how bad the current product was essentially. And like, you know, I just started getting ideas. It was really driven by like product, like my desire to build a better product here. And then the feeling that, you know, the last thing I sort of became convinced on was like the business, which is the, you know, the harder part of, I think like the product improvements we're doing are very obvious in some sense, but the business part is not very obvious. So that's what took me sort of the longest to become convinced on. But eventually I was like, you know, if there is a huge opportunity here, if you can make development more productive and, and help uh, companies ship better software, like there's got to be, you know, good ways to monetize that. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And when we talk about reimagining the terminal, like how much reimagining are we doing here? And when you're you know, convincing developers to use this, is it hard for them to grasp what you're saying and to understand? Like, is it that different or is it just better? How do you, you know, approach that messaging with developers? Yeah, it's a great question. So the easiest thing is to sort of show, not tell. So in our sort of like marketing and website and demos, we make a really like a big emphasis on like showing the product, showing what's different about it. And developers get it, I think, really quickly because the, the innovations are fairly obvious. It's like we put structure on the output of what's in a terminal so that it functions more like that uh, Jupyter notebook. And we like make the editing experience in the terminal work more like a code editor. And so these things are like developers get it. And then the other big choice that we made was like we made warp backwards compatible so that if you are, you know, the user of another terminal and you want to switch into it, we've tried our hardest to make the switch be seamless and make it so like you can just download warp, open it up and start using it. And, you know, for 97% of users that just works and that makes it easy. And can you talk to us a little bit about 
numbers and any metrics that you can share that highlight the growth and adoption you're seeing with developers? We're not publicly sharing like a, a usage number, but the way that we think about it is in terms of weekly active users, like it's a product where we want people using it pretty much every day. And so some things I can share is like most users of Warp will use it five or more days a week. I can share that in like, you know, the last year, our growth has been 10x. That's on an active user basis. All of our users are logged in. And I can sort of share that it's like a high NPS product. Like people really like it. Like if you were to look at Twitter, you'd see a ton of positive buzz around it. I can also share the things that, that like the most common complaints we have, which you know, might be interesting to other other founders around like, you know, people churn from Warp because we are missing some support for some key workflow that they expect in the role tool, which isn't surprising. And then the other reason that people will churn or complain about Warp is that we're trying to sort of fundamentally change this user behavior around like we ask people to log in to the terminal, which is a new behavior for this particular tool. And for some developers that really like pisses them off, rubs them the wrong way. They're like, why should I log into this? And we do it because we think there's a better product experience to be had. If you log into a tool, all of a sudden you can start storing stuff in it. You can start sharing that stuff with your teammates and you need some concept of identity for that. But like, those are like the complaints. And I see community there on the website. What role does community play in what you're doing? Community is a really big deal. So we have, I mean, we have community in a bunch of different ways. Like we have like literal online community in Discord. We've got 10,000 developers who are in there who, you know, discuss Warp and give us feedback, give us feature ideas. We have a pretty active community of like people who are making content around Warp, which is pretty cool. So sort of like some influential developers will will use Warp and, you know, make videos around it. We'll talk about it on social. We want to take this much further. So like what we want to do really is like go from like a community of like enthusiasts to a community of people who are contributing. And so we we have a couple like open source extension points where people can like contribute themes or contribute workflows. But ultimately, I think an area that we want to lean into, and it's very like good sort of way of building out developer products is by having more extension points where people can actively contribute into them. In terms of rising above the noise, what else do you think you've done right to really, you know, resonate with developers and to capture their attention? Because I think there's just a lot of noise in this space. There's a lot of noise for developers' attention or competing for developers' attention. What have you gotten right? Maybe not just from a marketing perspective, but from a company building perspective, you know, what have you gotten right? Yeah, it's a great question. First off, I really, this would probably be the least interesting answer, but I really do think that we have a product that is innovative and that practically all of our growth is from word of mouth, people telling their friends that, hey, I'm using this cool new thing or telling their coworkers. And so like, to me, my whole philosophy is just really focus on the product and the user. So that's like not tactical advice for anyone who's listening, but to me, there's not a shortcut. There's around like that's everything flows from that. Some more tactical ways that we've kind of cut through the noise. So. Our product is like somewhat controversial in this because we because we have this login requirement. So we've been on, on the top of Hacker News, which is like a you know a common place where developers will talk about products and like something about the controversy is actually I think from an awareness standpoint been good for us. But there's downsides to that too. It's like we have you know people loudly complaining about this requirement, but it does create a bunch of buzz around it. We've also sort of like gotten grouped into like a set of cool, like next generation developer tools that work that are often like tweeted together, which I think is really good for us. So that would be something like 
uh, Arc from the browser company or Raycast. And so like being grouped as one of these tools has been very valuable. I think our investors for people who care about that actually help us cut through the noise a bit too. Uh, like, you know, Dylan Field, the Figma founder led our Series A and he has a pretty big following and is very well respected. And then our Series B was led by Sequoia, which is an amazing firm. So that's been helpful. And then, you know, more specifically to the developer world, we're built in Rust, which again, we did not choose Rust for any kind of marketing value. Like we chose Rust to build the best possible product, but we picked a technology stack that developers find interesting. And like developers are probably unique as customers and that they actually care how the software is built. But all of those things together, I think have like helped us cut through the noise. Like actually, I think for a early stage developer company, we've done really well with that. How much time did you spend early on deep in messaging and positioning? Was that something that you were deeply involved in? Did you hire someone to support with that? Or what did you do to get messaging as clear and crisp as you have it today? We did not hire someone. Early on, we did. I should say now we've hired a product marketer. It's really helpful on the messaging side. But before hiring our product marketer, we sort of just decided like for developers in particular, it's all about, I think, clarity of communication. It's about avoiding a feeling of being marketed to. It's about tangibly stating the benefits and actually showing them and where you can backing them up with like metrics. And so there was just a ton of focus early on around like, how do we talk about this in a way that's going to be matter of fact, straightforward, but also present like the power of it in the way that makes someone want to try it. And so that was the goal. I think we've done like not a perfect job of that, but a, definitely a pretty good job. And I also want to ask a little bit about funding. So as of the recording, you announced Series B yesterday. And I know that yes. was you know, done, done a while back, but I'd still love to talk yeah. about it because I think raising a Series B anytime in the past 12 months probably hasn't been super easy. So what was that journey like for you? And were there any you know, interesting lessons that you learned along the way? Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, I think we're fortunate. Like we have great partners. We raised an, an incredible round, not just from Sequoia, but also we had some really amazing angels like Sam Altman and Jeff Wiener and Toby Lukey and my cousin Mark Benioff. I think the key thing for us was we just focused on, well, the size of the opportunity. So it's like for us, it's like we truly have a opportunity to build like a horizontal tool that you know, our TAM is kind of all developers, which is unusual. So there's the size. We focused on the user traction. Our go-to-market motion is bottoms up, product-like growth. And we we leaned into like, look, people love this product. It's growing very quickly. These are people who are using it every single day and they're referring their friends. And so the the growth story was important. The team was super important. And so you know, we are not a big team, but if you look at the team, it's like mostly engineers, first of all, which I think for our thing is, is right. And it's engineers who are, I would say, like pretty impressive in their capabilities and like where they work, where they studied, what sorts of things they've accomplished in their career. And so packaging that all up together, we were able to paint like a really good story. I will say for future facing stuff, and we're still like, we have a lot to do. And what really got the investors excited, I would say, was like painting a picture of the future, which, you know, kind of sounds trite, but I think it actually really matters. And what we did well with this was we did a bunch of strategic design work where rather than being like, hey, this is what we're 
thinking the future of the product looks like, and let me describe it to you in words, we were able to show through design something that I think is, you know, paints a really compelling feature of how work becomes bigger than it is. Not just like bigger in terms of users, but bigger in terms of scope of product, bigger in terms of like engagement and deeper into the stack and like how we grow and how five to 10 years from now, Warp is like a huge company. And so doing that through designs, if you are a product focused company like we are, I feel like it's much more impactful than doing it through words. So that's like a little bit of tactical advice. And final question here before we wrap, let's zoom out into the future. So maybe three to five years from today, what's the vision for Warp? What are you trying to build and what do you hope to achieve over the next three to five years? Yeah, the vision is to be the primary app that developers do their day-to-day work in. Like we're a terminal right now. The terminal is like an important tool, but it's not the only tool that developers use. And so we think that in addition to like being a 10x better terminal, which is, you know, we're either there or close to there for a lot of users, using the terminal as a sort of jumping off point to help with all sorts of developer workflows could basically you know, give developers the most efficient, smartest, most collaborative way to build fast software is what we're going for. And so it's like a really ambitious vision using the command line as a starting point to, you know, help developers ship better software more quickly. So there's a bit of horizontal expansion in there. And there, there's a like, how do you make the command line itself just like a more and more useful and indispensable tool? Amazing. I love it. All right, Zach, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build and execute on this vision, where should they go? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at warp.dev, so that in thought is spelled out, D-O-T, warp.dev. You, know, you can join our Discord, or you can just go check our website, and we're posting stuff there. And like, if you're a developer listening, please try Warp. Amazing. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I know the audience is going to as well. So really appreciate you making the time. Thanks so much for having me, Brett. This is great. All right, keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 